The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Father, and that he would uh, be our counselor, Lord, our comforter. And so, God, we pray, Lord, that as your word comes out, Lord, that you will lead us, Lord, into an ability to understand it in our heart, in our mind, in our spirit, and that it would be able to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So question for you, this is, today's message is God of the impossible. So I'd ask you, do you need a miracle? Is there somewhere in your life that you need God to do something. That's what a miracle is. The definition of a miracle is something that happens outside of the natural course of events. So the natural course of events is predictable. This will happen over and over again. I lost my job. I'm going to go broke, right? That's kind of a natural course of events. I lost my job, and two weeks later, I got a job offer and then a better job offer, and I'm making more and in a better position than I was when I lost my job. That's not the normal course of events. That's a God intervention. I got leukemia. We have a girl in here, two years old. She's back there now. I have leukemia. The normal course of events is that I will be getting buried soon. Being alive and running around church, worshiping and singing and playing in the kids' area after she beats it is a God intervention. So do you need a miracle in any area of your life? Is there something going on in your life where you need more than the natural course of events to happen? You need something different to take place. I've been sick for X amount of years, and it keeps getting worse. And I've been to doctors, and they can't fix it, and they keep prescribing more medication, and it's getting worse and worse. It's not going away. The natural course of events is that will be with you your entire life. My wife had Crohn's disease, which Crohn's disease doesn't get better. It eventually starts taking your organs, it starts shutting down your system, you eventually die. But there was a God intervention, and she was miraculously, completely, and totally healed from it, went into the doctors, had her body checked, all of the tests, to see if it was just in remission, and the doctor said, I don't know what you're thinking, but you never had it. We have all the records, all the tests, all of everything to show that she had it. That's not the natural course of events. That's a God intervention. I've seen marriages that are broken and destroyed, and there's no hope whatsoever for them to come back together. They're not living together anymore. There isn't any chance. There's no relationship there. Where there used to be love, there's bitterness and anger and separation. And I've seen them restored, not just to what they were, but to where they're a loving, passionate relationship, and those people are now restoring other marriages. I've seen marriages where the wife has left the husband, had an affair, got pregnant, had a baby, and the normal course of events is that never gets repaired. But there's a God intervention, and that couple is together raising that baby and now showing other people how to overcome their marriage struggles. Do you need a miracle in an area of your life where you look at it and say, I don't know how to fix this or change it? I don't have hope. I need 
something different than the natural course of events to happen, something outside of my own knowledge, ability, or plan. Did you know that in 2017, I'm using this because it takes a while for them to collect stats and then report them. And so this is the newest that I could find. But in, two, in, in 2017, there were 17,000 homicides in the United States. 17,000. That's a pretty big threat. I'm going to wear a helmet and a bodysuit when I go outside because there's so many homicides. Now that counts school shootings. That counts murders in the back alley. That counts everything. Except for... I would say abortion, which to me is a homicide because that's a life that God put in there. But aside from that, that counts what everybody would equally count and everybody from every walk of life would say that's a homicide, 17,000. But did you know that you are at far greater risk of death by your own hand than you are at death by someone else's? Three and a half times more likely there was 47,000 Americans killed by suicide in 2017. So there was 17,000 that were killed by someone else. There was 47,000 that were killed by themselves. It's far more dangerous in the street if you're walking alone than if you're walking next to somebody that looks spooky. At least by the statistics. Because we kill ourselves more than other people kill us. Why? Because people lose hope. And once you lose hope, you lose, a you lose the desire to live and to move forward. That study was done by the Centers of Disease Control. And it actually, so many deaths that it actually lowered the overall life expectancy numbers in the United States just by suicides, the length of life. Despite our increase in knowledge, training, medication, counseling, all of these different things that we have, books that are written, seminars, to try to help people have a better life, be a better them, find more peace. Suicide rates are still climbing. How is it possible that we can have more knowledge, more money thrown at the problem, more solutions thrown at the problem, and the problem increases? because we need less of us and we need more of God. We need less of our solutions, less of our abilities, less of our way of fixing things, and we need more of God. We have more treatment centers for alcoholism, more treatment centers for drugs, and yet we have more addicts than ever. We have more help for marriage, and yet we have more divorces. We have more help for parents, and yet we have more abortions. We have more people giving up their babies for adoptions. We have more of everything to fix everything. And yet we have more failure at fixing everything than we had before. It tells us that we are not the solution. We aren't the fix. The first temptation to humanity, to us in the Bible with Adam and Eve in the garden was, you can be like God. You can have the knowledge of good and evil. You can be the one that can fix everything. And that was the beginning of the spiral downward, and it continues today. As we try to help ourselves, we find that we hurt ourselves to the point where we become the most dangerous predator of ourselves in a very literal way. 
Here's a story out of the Bible. We're going to go to Matthew 27, verses 1 through 10. This is talking about Judas and Jesus, which Jesus had many disciples. Now, Judas was one of Jesus' disciples, so close to Jesus that he sat at the last supper, at the last meal with him to eat. And just a small room, just a small crowd, if you're thinking of an event that you're going to do, and it can only hold a small group of just a dozen people or so, who are you going to invite? Judas made the list. Judas knew Jesus. Judas walked with Jesus. Judas wasn't just part of the church. Judas was so intimately close to Jesus that when there was a small room and a small dinner right before the cross, Judas made the list of invites. He was close. He was a friend. He was a part of the inner circle. This verse says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans on how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. This was because Judas had sold Jesus over to them. They're making their plans, so they have this plan. And it says, when Judas, who, was be- who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now that verse right there gives us a key. I'm going to jump out of that because it's changing. I mean, I'm not ready for it. You also have it in your bulletin, so I'm going to grab this. And... Uh, I'm not going to throw it on screen because it keeps shifting out of me. So it says that Judas, that he was seized with remorse when he saw that this happened. Why was he seized with remorse? Remorse comes when you do something wrong and then something bad happens, and you're like, oh my gosh, what's happened? This gives us a, a little bit of a view into Judas's heart. Judas had to have thought that Jesus would escape the problem. Because he had no problem selling him. His problem came when he saw that he sold him and now he's going to die. Have you ever done something thinking there won't be a consequence? If I do this, nothing will happen. If I do this, God will bail me out. Samson did that. He said, I can do whatever I want. God will always bail me out. And then he found himself bound up by the enemy and his eyes gouged out working in slavery because he kept tempting that God would let him out, God would let him out, God would let him out. Well, Judas here, when he saw that, oh my gosh, Jesus is actually going to be killed, he was seized with remorse. This tells us that Judas thought he would get away. He thought he would get the money and somehow things would turn out okay. He would do the wrong and somehow things would come out okay. His plan would give him the best of both worlds somehow. And he saw it didn't work, and he ran in, he tried to give it back, and they said, no, you can't. He tried to repent. He ran to people, and he just threw it out on the ground. And they picked it up, and they said, oh, this isn't even holy money, we can't keep it. And the story's in your bulletin, you can read it right on the bulletin as we go along. But he throws it out on the ground, he repents, he doesn't want the money, and he runs away. And it says that he was so grieved that he ran out and he hung himself on a tree. He took his own life. He got himself into a situation and lost hope and then took his life. 
And so that is something that all of us have been through. Sometimes the situation that we're in is our own fault. It's something that we caused. It's something that we did. And Judas' answer was to try to fix it by going to other men. He went to other people and he said, hey, can you fix this for me? And they couldn't fix it. And when they couldn't fix it, he lost hope. There's another person in the Bible that had a far greater failure with Jesus. But his answer was to go to Jesus, not to go to man. Imagine if Judas had waited just a little while. Jesus came back from the dead. Judas could have had an opportunity to go to Jesus himself and repent, but he let hopelessness overtake him. Peter, in the Bible, was also there at that same dinner. He was sitting at the same meal. He was a part of the same inner circle. He made the list. And when Jesus went to the cross, Peter denied him. Not once. See, Judas made a mistake once. He went and he sold him out. Peter did it three times. Not for money. He didn't even need money. He sold him out just for fear. Just for his own life's sake. His own self-interest. Judas's was for self-interest. Was Peter's any better? It was for his own self-interest, but Peter did it three times. Three times he denied Jesus. Three times he left him to hang on a cross. Three times he said, I don't even know who that guy is. Don't confuse me with him. I'm not connected to him in any way. But Peter, who was filled with remorse, didn't give up and take his life when Jesus died. And he eventually found his way back to Jesus. And Jesus talked to him, and Jesus said very specific things. He said, do you love me? In other words, you sold me out. You walked away in my time of need. Do you care about me? I'm giving you a chance to repent. I'm giving you a chance to tell me where your heart's at, even though you failed. Peter says, yes, I do. And he said, feed my sheep. And he said, do you love me? He said, yes, I said I do. Feed my sheep. And then he said it a third time, do you love me? And the Bible says that Peter was hurt in his heart because he asked him a third time. And Jesus said again, feed my sheep. What can we learn from these two stories when we compare them together? What we can learn from these two stories is this. When something is hopeless, when something is failed, when something is broken, we can go to each other and we're a family, and we want to do that, and we want to lift each other up. But unless we go to God, we will not get the help that we need. The reason that you can come to me and talk to me and try to get help for your area of need is because then together we can go to God's Word, and we can go in prayer and seek God to come and help and intervene. Not because I have all the answers, because I sure don't. I don't even have enough answers for my own life. What I have is a relationship with the Lord, and it's the same relationship that you have. It doesn't matter if you gave your life to Jesus last week, and I'm a pastor. Irrelevant in God's eyes, because none of us have relationship through what we've done. You have the same relationship because you have the same Savior who died on a cross for your salvation and rose from the dead to bring you new life. And when I stand before the Lord and say, God, I'm a pastor at the Beat Church, and I'm praying this for 
for Jesse Brown. Or Sean walks over and says, God, I'm praying for Jesse Brown, and I sit in the fourth row at the Beat Church. God doesn't say, well, hold on, I'm going to wait for Andy to come and pray. It is irrelevant to God. The Bible says that in Him there's no partiality. We all have the same relationship because our relationship doesn't come through Bible college and it doesn't come through a certain amount of study time and it doesn't come through any of those things. It comes through Jesus Christ dying, opening a way, and us walking in and finding our Father. He's not more happy to see us because we've been through the curtain ten times. He's happy to see us because we come through it all and because we're his children, because he loves us. And so the difference in these two stories is that they both blew it, but one gave up hope and walked away, and the other one didn't lose hope and waited and came back to Jesus and said, I need help. And the second thing that's different in these stories is that when Jesus talked to him, Jesus said this, do you love me? Do you really repent? Do you really want to change your life? Do you really want to follow me? And when he said yes, he said this, feed my sheep. There's a key there. Jesus was telling him that the answer is not in solving your own problems. The answer is in reaching out to solve someone else's problem. If you love me, see, last time you failed, why? Because your number one goal was your own self-interest. You were worried about you, and you denied me three times. Judas was worried about him, and he hung himself. Do you love me? Do you want to follow me? Do you want to do it my way this time? Yes, I do, Lord. Okay, this time, it's not about you. This time, it's going to be about others. That's the message Jesus was giving him. And so Peter follows that. And he's truly going to walk with the Lord now. And so when we look at this in our own life, when we come to God and we say, God, we need miracles done. See, the key is real faith understands that God is going to meet our need. That's what I loved about what Jason said. I knew God was going to provide for me. So I ran to the church on Sunday and I was ready to give even though I didn't have a job. I don't say that because it puts money in our thing. But that's a heart that says, I already know this is going to happen, so I'm going to go give the money, and I'm going to go set up the chairs, and I'm going to serve. Because I already know the outcome. So I'm doing two things. I'm believing, I'm walking out of here, and I'm going to go serve and give. Why? Because that's about others. I'm trusting God with this. Lord, you take care of this, and I'm going to go take care of somebody else. That's the heart that Jesus was trying to get into Peter. And for us, when we seek God for a miracle... Miracles come when we begin to believe God for other people's miracles. That's when they come. Because that's when we tap into the heart of God. I was watching a show last night, and they said the same thing. It's just biblical revelation. Just right out of Parks and Rec. This guy walks into the sheriff. He says, how can I get this big favor. I need you guys to come bring all your staff to volunteer security at our big event. And he said, who's it for? He says, it's for Leslie Nope. And he goes, it's done. He turns, starts working again. And he goes, can I ask why that was so easy? Can I ask why it's so easy for you to say yes to a favor for Leslie Nope? And the sheriff guy looks up and he says, because when Leslie Nope asks for a favor, it's to benefit someone else. And he just looks down and starts working again. That's what it's talking about. 
When we pray for others, the Bible tells us constantly throughout the New Testament to pray and to intercede for other people. When we pray for others, we get breakthrough for us. And so we're all seeking breakthrough. And we get our mind off, but now, well, then what about my need? Well, here's the key. When I'm praying for you, guess what you're doing? You're praying for me. I heard a picture one time. Somebody had said they, they had a dream about heaven and hell. They said in hell, there was a long table, and all these people were gaunt and ugly and just skinny and bones. And they were all sitting at this long table, this huge buffet of food everywhere. And their spoons were three or four feet long. And they were there with their spoons just rapidly trying to eat, but the spoon was too long, and they scooped the food, and they couldn't get it to their mouth. They're starving and dying in this inability to get it, but it's all in front of them. And a picture of heaven was the same table and the same food and the same spoons. And everyone was scooping up and reaching across the table and feeding somebody. Everybody was full and happy and filled. See, that's a picture of how God wants to bring breakthrough. The God of the impossible starts first in our own heart. The impossible thing for us is to get our eyes off of ourselves and to get our eyes onto others. But if God can get us to do that, even in our worst moment, even in our most disappointing time like Peter's, even in our biggest poverty, even when we're the most crazy or the most hurt or the most distracted, the least healthy, whatever's going on, the most anxious, if God can get us to take our eyes off ourselves and look to somebody else and say, Lord, I'm praying for them, I want to serve them. See, then God opens heaven and starts to pour back into your own life. The Bible says give, and what happens? It'll come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's not just talking about money. You want to give your prayers and your blessing and your favor and your hope and your breakthrough to somebody else. And guess what's going to come back into your own life? People's prayers, the blessing of the Lord, the favor of God, and a breakthrough that you can't contain. But it's when we start to look into others' lives to pour it out that God does it. The verses here in Hebrews 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verses uh, 12 through 16. It says, this is in your bulletin, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Boy, that's scary. God knows everything. Cut open, laid bare. Here it is. It's all there. That would leave us in a bad spot. The verses go on to say, for, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's talking about Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So our faith is in him, the work that he's done. It says we do not have a high priest, so Jesus is not unable to, em to empathize with us and our weaknesses, but we have one, this is Jesus, who has been tempted in every way just as we are. He walked this earth and he went through what we went through. And what was his response? 
His response was to still, right down to his last dying moment, look for a breakthrough for someone else. Hanging on a cross, he looks out at the people who are killing him, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right down to his final act, he's trying to bring blessing to others. Well, there's, it's not a good time. This isn't a good time right now for me to do forgiveness. I mean, you're still spitting on me. You're still hurling insults at me. You're still hitting me with the whip. You're still attacking me. Like, I'm still hanging here. How about this? How about you pull me down, clean me up, bandage me, get me better, and in a couple of months, when I finally get out of the hospital and I can walk around, then I'll go to counseling. I'll do some heart work. And then eventually I'll forgive you. Maybe. No, he's in the middle of it. They're still tormenting him. They're still killing him. And he's still saying, forgive them. And we know he had his breakthrough. We know that three days later he rose from the grave. And now he sits in heaven over everything. God wants us to be at the same place, to live like Christ. That's where our breakthroughs come from. That's when the God of the impossible comes in and really begins to work on our behalf. But even that in itself is impossible without God. The Bible says there's no one righteous, there's no one that seeks to do good. The Bible says that it's him, it's God himself that works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He has to put the desire in us and work in us by his spirit to even get us to a place to where we can start taking our eyes off ourselves and praying for somebody else while we're still hurting and in trouble. But it is the path to victory. It is the path to your breakthrough. It's to pray for, to serve, to give right out of the midst of the struggle. Not once it's over, not once it's better, it's right now. The rest of that verse goes on to say that he was tempted in every way as we were, but he did not sin. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to do what? To help us in our time of need. With confidence. Not walking in and say, Lord, could you maybe do this? Lord, could you maybe, Lord, could you? But we go in with confidence because we're living the way that Jesus did, believing for others, hoping for others. And we're walking in in confidence saying, God, because you died for me, because you love others, Lord, I'm believing for them and I'm believing for me. Can you pour out from your throne of grace into our life? That's what God wants. And I believe that God has breakthroughs for every person in here as we shift our mindset and shift our focus onto others to bring that. In your bulletin, if you open it up, there's a little sheet in there. And that sheet looks like this. And so we're actually going to get interactive right now and do this together. Okay, I'm going to explain it. We're just going to do this together. And then we're going to bring these things in prayer to the Lord. And I want you to hold on to this and to keep this and to continue to pray over this. This isn't a one-time thing. 
I'm going to bring this up on different Sundays and remind you and ask how it's going in these things. But the first line, so grab a pen. We're going to fill these out together. It says, so anybody that needs one, Jesse's got a couple of extras. If you're on our online, I will uh, tell you what's on these. I'll, I'll post a PDF in a, after the service is over so you can have it. But It starts out with, it says, I'm praying for. And the first blank, the first three blanks, is for someone that you're praying for to receive Jesus, to give their life to Jesus, to find God. The ultimate prayer. Lord, we want them to know you. We want them to give their life to you, Lord. We want them to understand who Jesus is and come to a point of salvation. We want them, God, to become part of your family. And that's where we want to start because that's the mission, not only of the church, not only of our lives, but that was the mission of Jesus himself. It's why he came. So our prayer should always start there. God, bring this person into salvation. That's his hope. That's his goal. And so the first three are people that you're praying for, that they would come to know Jesus and give their whole life to him. Then there's two there for you to pray for someone else. You put their name in and what specific breakthrough you are praying for them to receive. It's a health breakthrough. Maybe it's a financial breakthrough. It's an emotional breakthrough. Whatever it is. But somebody else that you're praying for by name and very specific to the situation. Why specific to the situation? Can't I just say, oh, I'm praying for Bill and I want him to have a breakthrough? Because how will you know when God solves it if you don't know this is what I'm praying for? Pray specific so that when it comes through, you can say, you know what, I was praying for that exact thing. And I saw God break it through. Plus, it's what Jesus modeled. Jesus constantly went up to people that he could tell had a lot of problems. And the first question he would ask them is, what do you want me to do? Be specific with me. Tell me what you want so I can move on. So we want to do that. So a person and then a specific breakthrough for them. Something that they need a miracle in. Then the last two are for your own. Because the biblical model is that the first shall be last. The last shall be first. That if you want to be great, then be a servant. Give, it'll come back to you. The Bible is very clear all the way through that if you want, re- you want rewards in your life, you want things to happen in your life, the place to start is in someone else's life. It's all through the Bible. Start by giving, by loving, by pouring out, and we watch it come back into our own life. And so in the end there, it's your own personal breakthrough. Oh, this is what I need. This is what I'm asking for. Then we're going to take about five minutes. Right now we're going to do this again. We do this often. But we're going to break up into little groups. I want to pray together. You know, the Bible says my house will be called a house of spectating and watching messages. My house will be called a house of spectating and watching fog machines and laser lights. It doesn't say that, not even in the message, which is really wide-reaching in how they explain things. It says my house will be called a house of prayer where people will come together and pray and lift needs up to heaven. They'll come, as it says right here in Hebrews, we just talked about boldly before the throne of God with their needs. Okay, so let's let's stand up, find a few people to pray with, and we're going to get into prayer. Uh, Josh, if you can, this would be the time to start that, um, just playlist of songs, just so this is offered, but turn it down enough that people can still talk.
If you're online, we're going to go into prayer over these different things. If you have a breakthrough that you want to share uh, or else you want to post a breakthrough that you're looking for, then go ahead and post it. Just don't post about anybody else online. Uh, just post for yourself. Uh, just because they can be sensitive about that. And uh, darkness has to bow. Confusion has its final hour. And everybody here, let's gather together and pray over some of those specific things. When you don't have to share everything on your list. Mountains rise and fall. Open up and share a little bit. Pray for each other. Down every wall. Because this is how God's going to start to move in our church. The more we Around pray, me. the more we seek Him when together in unity, speak, the more that God is going to move. You breathe upon the dust. You come alive in So thanks for being with us. I'll post this uh, a little bit later today once church is when over. You speak, you silence every fear. You feel your spirit here. Around us, let there be light, let there be light till it fills up every space. Come and have your way, let there be light, let there be light. Just one word and I can change. Come and have your Till it
the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.